listening to sermons from South Point Fellowship, where we are equipping the family of God for the mission of God to see everyone around us transformed by the gospel of Jesus. For more information, please visit southpointfellowship.org. I don't know how many of you I've shared this with, but um, the, the way I ended up, uh, my wife and I ended up at South Point is uh, 10 years ago, Next month, we left a church that we were helping to plant due to a moral failure on the lead pastor's part that wasn't being addressed. And so Dory and I uh, prayerfully left that church. We exited then, and after we did so, a young man, a, a couple of months later, a young man that I had been discipling called me up, and he wanted, to, he wanted to meet. He wanted to get together. In fact, it was at Arby's on 2081. And so uh, we, we met together, and uh, I didn't think anything about it. A few minutes into the conversation, I quickly realized that the conversation was a setup. And the pastor, um, who had unconfessed moral sin, uh, he, along with another member of the church, actually showed up in sunglasses. And they cornered me in Arby's. Left, leaving me no place to move or to get out of the Arby's. I know that sounds crazy, but I'm telling you, you'll just have to believe me. That's exactly what happened. And so I sat there and I was berated for half an hour uh, and I was essentially told uh, how disgusting of a human being I was. I, I share that with you because we all have stories about how people in the church have hurt us, don't we? I, if I were to go around the room this morning, I could ask each and every one of you, hey, how have you been hurt by people in the church? And you would probably have a, a list of ways that people have hurt you. And so we get really good because of that. We get really good at knowing exactly how other people should love us, don't we? Like, I know exactly how you should love and care for me because of the many ways that people have hurt me in the church. And I think of those many stories in my own life, and I, I can't help but to think of, as I shared with you last week, the elderly Apostle John being carried into the Sunday gathering by his disciples, having just a phrase to say to the congregation, my little children, Love one another. My little children, love one another. This morning, I want you to walk away with knowing that if you are in the light, if you're in the light, you have been commanded and empowered to love others. If you have access to a Bible, would you find 1 John there with me? We'll be looking at verses 7 through 14 this morning. And if you're new with us today, welcome. We're so glad that you've joined with us. It's typically our practice at South Point to just walk through books of the Bible on Sunday mornings. And so we will find ourselves in the book of 1 John leading up to Advent this year. So wherever you are, if you're here physically with us, if you're joining with us on live stream, would you stand with me uh, as we honor the reading of God's word? Again, 1 John chapter 2 verses 7 through 14. The Apostle John writes, Beloved, I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. 
At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you've overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. The Apostle John, the writer of this letter, as I mentioned last week, keeps giving us these various tests, tests that sort of have a dual purpose. On one hand, they're useful for your very assurance of salvation, that by taking the test, you can find answers to the questions, am I a Christian? Am I really saved? And on the other hand, if you are a Christian, if you're walking in the light, if you're living in the kingdom of light and you're not experiencing joy, you're not experiencing the full fellowship of the father with his son that you should be, then taking these tests will help determine why. Now, our our test this morning in the text is the social one. Do I love other people? Specifically, do I love other Christians? And so we see in verses 7 through 11, the evidence of a transformed heart. And that evidence takes a moment to figure out because as we just read, John begins to talk about a commandment that he's writing about that is not new, but it is old, but it's also new. So it takes us a minute. What in the world is John talking about? Why is he saying this is not a new commandment? It's an old one, but it is a new commandment. So we need to do some looking. Remember, if we get to scripture and we find a particular place that we're not sure about. We, we use context to our advantage. Scripture interprets scripture. So we, we look first to our immediate context. What's before and after this very passage? Now, just before this, uh, we went over this for those of you who are with us last week in verse four, we see something about commandments. So let's hold on to that. It says, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. And then afterwards, uh, although he never explicitly states this old and new command, verses nine through 11 gives us the idea that this command has something to do with us loving one another, loving one another. Okay, so what's the command for loving others that is old? Well, from the earliest of days, the children of Israel, they would have known this command. In Leviticus chapter 19, beginning in verse 17, the Lord says, you shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people. Get this, but you shall love your neighbor as your self. Ah, there it is. Love your neighbor as yourself. 
So that's one reason it's old, because it's recorded in the Old Testament scriptures. But it's also old because it's the message of Christianity that was told to them upon uh, initial salvation. It's the message that they heard um, when the Spirit regenerated their hearts. It's something that they're very familiar with, that in Christ you are adopted into a new family. And this very family, the family of God, what do we do? We love each other. We love one another. That's the reason that this is an old command. So it's old, but John says at the same time, it's a new commandment. Why is it a new commandment? Because that's what Jesus himself said, as recorded by John in his gospel account in chapter 13, verse 34. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. Now, John could have just reiterated to us what already recorded, uh, what he already recorded Jesus himself saying. So why does he go through the whole trouble of, of telling us again that it's an old and new commandment? I think for one reason, John wants us to see, uh, John wants us to see that there is a stark contrast in their minds between this message and the new teaching of the Gnostics of their day. The Gnostics, remember, they didn't, they didn't like John's message. They weren't concerned with sin because they said all the physical stuff was evil anyways. So if your body sinned, it is what it is. And if we don't keep the commandments, no big deal. We'll see in chapter four that they didn't even believe that Jesus had come as a physical person. So he wanted them to be certain that they knew that this message had not changed, that it's the same message that they had heard when the gospel came to them. And it's the same message that the Lord God spoke to the children of Israel. But look there, the second half of verse eight with me. This is why John also emphasizes the newness of this commandment. Because the darkness is passing away and the light, the true light is already shining. You see, this new commandment, which verse seven says is true in Jesus and in you is so because the darkness is already passing away and the true light is already shining. Listen, Christian, this new commandment to love one another is true in Jesus and it's now true in you because the true light, Jesus, is already shining. So what does that mean for us? What does that mean for people who would say, I have fellowship with the Father and His Son. I am in the family of God. This is who I am. My identity is a Christ follower. It means that you have not only been given the command to love others the way that Christ Jesus did, get this, you've also been empowered to love other people that way. So it's no longer just a command. It's a command that you have been given the power to work out. Now, now you have the ability to actually love others successfully. Remember, as we saw last week, Jesus, who we saw as our paraclete, our advocate, our helper before the Father in heaven, after he ascended to the Father, he sent us another helper, another paraclete, and that is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit the one who regenerates the hearts of sinful men and women, also convicts of sin, and he empowers us to live in obedience to the word of God. Jesus has made it possible through his spirit for you and I in Christ to obey the very commands of Christ. Remember, if you are 
in the light, you have been commanded and empowered to love others. That's the good news of the gospel. It's not as though that we've just been left given a commandment that we couldn't fulfill. We can actually walk in obedience because we've been given the Holy Spirit. So that was our cram session for the social test. So now are you ready to take it? Okay, that, that's where John's going. Are, are you ready to take the test? Look, look in the text beginning in verse nine. He says this, whoever says he's in the light and he hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. And so if that's the test, how'd you do? How'd you do, Christian? If you're like me, it's, well, I don't hate anyone, so I I must have passed the test. I I can't think of anybody that comes up on my list right away. Maybe you can, okay, and and you'll have to deal with that. But but when I I read this and I I think, is there anybody that I hate? I, I can't say so, so I must have passed. Now, each year on my wife and I's anniversary, we ask each other a series of questions, and they're evaluative questions. Now, it would be one thing for me to look at those questions and think, I know exactly how Dory's going to answer these questions, and I know that I've done a good job and that I'm growing as a loving husband, and there, was, there would be really nothing for her to say that I need to improve in this marriage. That would be one thing, right? That's not always the case. <laughs> I heard that. That's not, that's not always the case. So it would be one thing for me to look at this test and say, hey, I've passed that test. It's another thing for my wife to affirm or deny it, right? Or tell me how to develop. She's the one that I'm trying to love. She's the one that I want to get to know. She's the one that I want to develop in right relationship with. It's one thing for us as Christians to say, yes, I don't hate anyone. There's nobody on my list that I can think of. It's another thing for us to allow God's word to wash over us and to tell us whether we have hate in our heart for our brother and sister or not. So you could also sit down along with the scriptures in your DNA groups and you could ask your brothers and sisters using God's word as the key, how am I doing? Am I loving others? Is this something that seems to be a growing theme in my very life? John gets back to this saying one thing and yet living another way. That that it's possible. It's, It's very possible for you to tell everyone around you that you're a Christian, that you are living in the light, that you're walking in the light, and yet you live with bitterness and hatred toward your brothers and sisters. It's possible to be the nicest individual in the whole world where everybody can walk around and say, hey, you know what that young lady, that gentleman, they are the nicest person you could ever meet and yet you could have hate in your heart and still be walking in the darkness. John says, if that is true of you, you're actually not a Christian and you're still in the darkness. And in the darkness, you can't possibly do what Christians have been commanded to do. Why? Because you haven't been empowered. You haven't been given the gift of the indwelling Holy Spirit. In fact, John says, it's because you can't see. 
You're stumbling around, not only because you live in the darkness, but also because you've been blinded by the darkness. You see, the one who loves, they live in the light. Now, I I live in a house with two young children. So I know the difference between stumbling around in the darkness when you know that you could step on some little, little racing car at any moment and, and when you are walking in the light where obstacles are a bit more obvious. Do you get, you get the drift there? It, it's, it's one thing to be stumbling around in the darkness, not exactly knowing what you're going to step into or step onto. I also have a dog. Or, or that you're just going to hit furniture. Walking in the darkness, you just continue to stumble around. If we walk in the light, you're not a stumble to anyone. So let's let the word of God shed light on the how we're actually doing. What does my heart actually look like? Do I have love for the brother? Do I have love for my sisters? Or am I walking in darkness? Is the truth actually not in me? If I asked you where to go in God's word, in dealing with the various aspects of love, what would you say? Where where would you tell me to go? I'm open. First Corinthians, that's what I was looking for. And where specifically in 1 Corinthians? 13. Monty, it sounded like I set you up. You know, like the guy in the furthest back of the room is going to answer my question. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is exactly, I think that there's plenty of places to go that describe what love is. But 1 Corinthians 13, the apostle Paul writes there, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. So if we look at God's word, your personal opinion aside, because most of us pass the test, right? But when we look at how God defines love and what it looks like for our brother and what it looks like for others in our church, do you pass the test of God's word? It's an objective test. That's where we need to be going, brothers and sisters. Christian, could it be the reason that you don't enjoy sweet fellowship and communion, the communion that you long for with Christ? Could it be that you're actually quenching the work of the Holy Spirit in your life? Could it it be that you're quenching the work of the Holy Spirit in your life in relation to other people? I mean, it's clear if you're in the light, if you're a Christian, you've been given all the tools necessary to walk out Christ's very command. You've been empowered to do so. You've been given a new heart. You've been given a new nature. That's your identity. You are indwelt by the Spirit of Christ, enabled to love just as he loved, enabled to walk, as we saw in the text last week, just in the way that he walked. And so if you aren't loving in that way, if you continue to use information against other Christians, you know, the information that you find out from someone else who has found out from someone else, if you continue to use that information against your brother and sister, if you continue to hold on bitterness toward other people in the family of God, if you continue to keep a record of wrongs, if you withhold friendship based on the color of 
one's skin inside the body, if you ignore others based on their class or the way that they look or the way that they dress or the way that they smell or whatever the case may be, does it mean, Christian, that Christ has failed if you do that? Does it mean that? No. Christ never fails. Christ's love is perfect. His righteousness is perfect. Christ has certainly not failed if you don't measure up to the love test. You're grieving the Holy Spirit in your life. That's what's happening. That's what's happening in your heart if you're in Christ and you're holding on to a record of wrongs. If you're in Christ and you're treating a brother and sister in the way that you should not, repent this morning. The good news of the message that John has for us is that you actually can walk in the full fellowship of the Father and his Son. You actually can have full joy in Christ Jesus with the Father and his people. Or it could mean that you have actually failed the social test and that you're not in Christ and therefore remain in darkness. And so for you, the scriptures would be clear. Repent and turn to Christ this morning. Trust him for the forgiveness of your sins and walk in the newness of light of life today. Now, before we move on from the evidences of a transformed life, I want this to be clear. These tests are for the individual to be applied corporately. For all the church to take the test individually. They are not first and foremost for individuals to test the corporate, just like I said at the beginning. We're all aware of the ways in which you and you and you and you should love me, right? The test that John sets out before us is how am I loving the brothers? It is an individual test to be taken by the church family. It is not so that an individual can look and see how one another line up to the very test. Here's what I mean. We're really good at determining whether or not others are loving us well. As I said earlier, we all have stories of pain, suffering, and hurt from others in the church. But remember, as you sort all of that out, as you work through, of it, through that, John says, the test as to fellowship with the Father and His Son is whether or not you, Christian, love others. Do you love other people? Do you love them in the way that Christ has loved other people? And if you're in the light, you've been commanded and empowered to love others. We've seen the evidences of the transformed life. Now we'll get encouragement for the transformed life. Look at verse 12 with me. John writes, I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you've overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you're strong and the word of God abides in you and you've overcome the evil one. Here, the apostle John gives us yet another reason why he's writing this letter. And he divides it into three groups, little children, young men, and fathers going back and forth between these various groups. Now, scholars debate whether or not little children is meaning the entire church family and uh, those 
young in the faith, but regardless, mostly all in keeping with the way John has been writing thus far, agree that these these are not gender and age-specific categories, but rather they're levels, if you will, of spiritual maturity. That's what John is writing here. But first, what's the point of this section? It appears a little disconnected from what we've just talked about. John stops to give a word of encouragement in the midst of quite the demands on the Christian. And so he stops. Perhaps if you've been with us the last several weeks, you too have felt the weight of John's very message. That's tough. It's tough when God's word is laid out before you. You're, you're having to ask yourself and evaluate your heart. And if, am, am I just saying that I'm in the light and living another way? And if so, that means that I'm actually in darkness and I'm actually not in Christ and I'm not a Christian. You can talk all day about your relationship with the Lord and the things that you do for his church and for God's people. But if you live in opposition to God's word, you're a liar. Your eternity does not rest in Christ. That's what John has been saying over and over again. Your position is one of darkness. You live in the realm of darkness. You live in the kingdom of darkness. And so hearing this over and over again, you you could possibly feel condemned. John writes to reassure and comfort the Christian. Remember, that's his main audience. He's writing to those who are in the kingdom of light those who are in Christ, those who actually do have fellowship with the Father. If you're told to do anything, don't forget, Christian, that provision for you to follow out the commands of Christ have already been provided. Provision for you to do it has already been made and it's been given to you. You have the indwelling Holy Spirit who is your advocate. He's your paraclete. He's your helper in your heart. But knowing this, John also writes so that we would know because of this very provision, that you, Christian, have no excuse for failing. I want us to hear that. In our struggle with sin, and it is real, and it will never end in this life, we actually have no excuse because of the very power that resides in us, that is the Holy Spirit. And so before you leave feeling condemned, beloved, hear and remember that these assumptions are yours in Christ Jesus. They're about your standing and fellowship with the Father and all his saints. That's what John is writing in these last several verses in chapter 2. And as we get into them, you'll see that they're all very basic truths of the Christian faith. They're good for each and every one of you, regardless of the spiritual state that you find yourself in. Wherever you are on the spiritual maturity continuum, wherever you are in your life of sanctification, these truths are good for you, but they're especially good for particular areas and stages in sanctification. First, John talks to the children in the faith. John writes because he wants them to remember that their sins are forgiven how? Their, for, their sins are forgiven for Jesus' name's sake because they know the Father. There's nothing more foundational in the Christian life. Hear this. Especially you who are children in the faith. There's nothing more foundational than for you to know that you have assurance of salvation. And assurance of salvation is found in Christ Jesus because his work upon the cross was satisfactory. It was good before 
the Father. He is our advocate. He's your helper before the Father. He's the propitiation of our sins, as we saw in the text last week. He's the one who not only became a sacrifice by taking on your sin debt, but he also gave you his very righteousness. God, now looking on you with favor and delight. That's how you know that your sins are forgiven because God forgave them in Christ Jesus. Don't wander around in the Christian life without walking in that wonderful knowledge. You have assurance based on the perfect provision of Christ, Jesus before his father. Second, to the young men. John writes, because they have overcome the evil one, he says, because they are strong and the word of God abides in them. To those of you who are finding yourself maturing in the faith, you find yourself smack dab in the middle of your Christian journey. Here's an area where you must be settled and it's the area of how to overcome sin, how to deal with sin, how to fight sin, how to deal with battles in the Christian life. And as a younger congregation, there are lots of conversations about this in your life, in my life, growing young men and, and women in the faith in Christ. You are no longer under the dominion of sin. You need to know that. You need to hear that. You need to receive that. Young man or woman in the faith, still sin lingers around, but it no longer has you under its control. The prince of this world no longer has you under its dominion. You have a new nature. You've overcome the evil one already. So as you wrestle with putting the old man to death, remember that. It's, it's smack dab in the middle of the Christian journey that you start thinking about the earlier days in the Christian life. You remember how sweet those days were? You remember when nothing seemed to get to you? when nothing seemed to get you down, when the sin struggle seemed quite easy, and in fact, you can't remember it at all. You were just on fire. You start thinking about those days. And now when you look at your life and where you are in the Christian journey, you find that the battles are every single day. And they don't seem to stop and they don't seem to let up. And you wonder, how is this ever going to end? You need to hear, John says, that the victory over sin has ultimately already been won by Christ Jesus. And the word of God that abides in you is your reminder of this. God's word points out sin in your life. And it also lets us know that the victorious Christ has already won. And he's front and center as he should be in your life. Remember that, young men. And finally, to the fathers. John writes, because they know him from the beginning, that you, who are mature in your faith, although it may feel strange to know that or to think that or to even perceive that about your own life, those of you that you are, you still need to remember the Father and his Son through the Holy Spirit. You need to remember that you're not a child anymore, that you don't just have this expectation that you're just given things over and over and over again, that a bottle of nourishing milk doesn't just fall in your lap every time you start to whine. You need to remember that. As you grow mature in your faith, you aren't a young man anymore either. Not that you don't have your struggles with sin because you do, but you have many victories under your belt. You need to be reminded about who God is. The one who you will see not too long from now. 
You need to be occupied with God in his glory. To echo with the Apostle Paul in Philippians 1.21, to live is Christ and to die is gain. That is the mantra of your life at this very moment. In keeping with the context of our passage this morning, we actually see how beautifully connected this very section is, don't we? How can you fulfill the social test in our very church? How can you fulfill loving one another's one another in our very church and in the body of Christ instead of thinking about how others should actually love you? How do you love others? Children in the faith, it would be good and right of you to out of respect for your elders, those fathers in the faith, those who are spiritually mature, to let, you, to let them know that you're praying for them. Do you hear that? Those of you who have not been many years in the faith, would, would, you, would, would you find time? Would you, would you make time to go and see those who are mature in the faith and sit with them and hear their stories about the faithfulness of God? Would you call them and would you serve them? And as you listen to them, and as you take to heart their godly wisdom, be sure to encourage them to remember to fix their eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of their faith and on his father who's been faithful throughout the ages. Fathers, those of you who are mature in the faith here in our family, don't be quick to look down on those young men. Don't despise them for their youth, but rather let them know that you understand all too well their current struggle with sin. And I'd encourage you to jump into a DNA with those brothers. Get involved with them. They need to know how to struggle with sin. They need to be reminded that they are actually victorious in Christ Jesus. Be quick to ask those who are smack dab in the middle of their Christian faith about matters of their heart. Be quick to ask them of those things and encourage them that they've already overcome the evil one because Christ has done so and they are in Christ and his spirit indwells inside of them. Young men, it hasn't been so long since you were a child in the faith. Don't pass up an opportunity as a child in the faith struggles with assurance of salvation to encourage them that they have forgiveness of sins because of Christ Jesus' work on the cross alone, that no amount of their effort could find right standing before a holy God, that it is Christ and his perfect righteousness that allows them and gives them confidence of their very standing, that they can be sure of their relationship with the Father because of Christ Jesus and him alone. Family, I want you to hear as the Apostle John implores us, don't miss out on the opportunity to love one another. Don't miss out on the privilege that it is to serve one another in the family of God. What gifts God has given to us in his son for his church and his glory. If you're in the light, you've been commanded and empowered to love others. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for who you are. You're holy. You're perfect. You're light. And you dwell in light. Father, you've made it possible because of the work of your son, Christ Jesus, for sinners 
to be made right with you, to walk in the light, to no longer be blinded by the darkness, to no longer walk in the darkness. You've given us these commands to love one another, to love the brothers and the sisters in the church, and you have not left us alone in those commands. We thank you for that. We thank you that you sent the Holy Spirit to come alongside of us, to convict us of sin as we struggle with it in this life. To train us in righteousness and to empower us to walk out the very commands that you've given us in obedience with your word. Father, I pray this morning for the children and their faith here in our church family. God, would you remind them because your word is so clear that if we are in Christ, we can have assurance that we have eternal salvation with you because of Christ and his sacrifice on the cross alone. Would you help those who find themselves in the middle of sanctification? Would you remind them that they have victory over sin because Christ Jesus has overcome the evil one? Would you remind those who are mature in their faith? that you've always been there, that you've been faithful throughout the ages and that you'll always be. God, would you work in our hearts so that we might love and serve one another as you've called us to, that we might walk in the way of Christ Jesus. And we know that we can do this because that your spirit that lives inside of us, empowering us to fulfill such a task. Build us up for your glory, for your good, so that we might love you more. And it's in Christ Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.